0: dives i'm dave using founder editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com i am joined today by writer supreme john galati every time i ask john if he can get an article done later in the day he tells me i did it 35 minutes ago we are talking <laughs> world of watchmen today how's it going john
1: i got a bit of a head cold today so i apologize to all our listeners for that business but otherwise i'm excited to talk watchmen
0: it is head cold season. We are recording this uh, in November 2019. It's our fourth deep dive here on CBH. We did House of X and Powers of Ten most recently. If you're curious, you can check out the playlist. Or all deep dives, I'll put in the show notes here. But um, these these have been fun. It's a big, we're doing like big conversations around some of the comics and comics adjacent, in this case, media that we're most excited about or that raise the most interesting questions to us. Today, it's Doomsday Clock and HBO Watchmen, right? The world has kind of, Watchmen has kind of caught the world by fire yet again. Uh, here all these, you know, 30-plus years later. So what I really wanted to look at was Doomsday Clock has 11 issues released at this point of a 12-issue mini, or I guess not mini, a 12-issue limited series. Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen, we've seen three episodes. The fourth is going to be released today. So we are in, in a state of flux with both, right? Neither has concluded, but I think we have enough to go on where we can start asking questions about how Doomsday Clock is approaching a Watchmen sequel, how HBO Watchmen is approaching a Watchmen sequel, what that tells us about what I have ranked as my number one favorite comic book of all time, which is Watchmen, right? Like, I have it there for a reason. I've reread it very recently, and I stand by that claim. I feel pretty good about it, honestly. <laughs> it's all—it's one of those things where, like, I feel like it's not cool to have Watchmen be your favorite comic anymore, you know? I don't know if you yeah. kind of get that vibe from, like, the 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 culture and sort of the like contemporary comics critic it's definitely a book that has come under fire yeah and that's a lot fair of, criticism yeah a lot of fair and and pretty good reasons um but i maintain that it stands there and we're going to talk a little bit about I think, our reasons for why and, and what it means to us. Let's start here. Doomsday Clock, Watchmen, what was your reaction in 2016 when DC Rebirth teased the Watchmen connections and, and like, almost right off the bat, the explanation is Dr. Manhattan as the catalyst behind the New 52? John, I'll let you start.
1: I, I was real apprehensive. Okay. Um, you know, the Watchmen up until that point had not had a really great track record of being adapted. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the first time was obviously by Snyder, which didn't work out. And then the next one was, uh, before Watchmen, that kind of series of miniseries that were put out by like Darwin Cook and Brian Azzarello and people, uh, which was better, but still didn't quite hit the mark. So I was kind of thinking
0: like, I don't know that third time is going to be a charm here. I'll stand by Um, that Darwin Cook Minutemen series. It's
1: actually good.
0: It's quite, I mean, it's Darwin Cook, so it looks amazing, Yeah, but it also like, I know, th- I know this isn't the focus of what we're going to talk about. It takes the more ideas of Minutemen that are all mm-hmm. mysterious, and it actually fleshes them out in some kind of mildly surprising ways. But anyway, if you're going to read any Before Watchmen, I say read Minutemen, and then probably let the rest go.
1: Yeah, like you could read one issue of Brian Azzarello just to marvel in the fact that he knows how to write Rorschach's tone, and that's... Yeah. Um, though I don't know, you could make an argument for the Silk Spectre comic that was also done by Darwin Cook and Amanda Connor.
0: That's Cook and Connor. That's pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would agree. There's the track record of trying to bring Watchmen to life. Obviously, the 2009 Watchmen movie by Zack Snyder is the biggest instance of this. I think I've long said that it, one of my hottest takes, <laughs> maybe, is I. The way I said it recently was I never would have read Watchmen if not for 2009 Watchmen by Zack Snyder. You've said
1: that before, and it tears me up inside.
0: (laughs) I think in retrospect, the never part of that is a little too hyperbolic because what I'm essentially saying is that movie was a really effective advertisement to me to go and check out this graphic novel. It's a really good commercial because I wasn't super into comics at the time. You know, yeah. and, and my knowledge of comics was mostly like Marvel DC stuff. And it got me outside that box. And then I read Watchmen as as a young person into like, you know, I was an English major. Like I was, I was <laughs> reading James Joyce and Nabokov. And I was like, oh, this is a comic book that is holding a candle to those. That's yeah. cool. The mere fact that it was listed as Time, uh, you know, magazine's 100 greatest American novels. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is legit. It had that air of... This is legitimate literature that I didn't, at the time, no comics could approach. Now, now I look at it, and it's like, yeah, I, I think a lot of comics do that. And, and it's, you know, it's a medium that I absolutely love. Um, but for me, that was a big deal. So I'll admit to a curiosity and general excitement when Watchmen was teased in DC Rebirth if some general skepticism that they, they being in this instance, Jeff Johns as the writer, storyteller, and apparent architect could bring it to life. I think. Um, But at the same time, like there's always a pull for me because I love the 12 issue Watchmen series by Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, and John Higgins because I love it. Even though I know there shouldn't be more. I know Alan Moore (laughs) has famously, famously, said, I do not want there to be more of this. DC, he feels DC did him wrong in every regards, right? And like, we're not going to go into the creator rights component of this, but mm-hmm. I think there's like, if you're looking into the creator rights and maybe just the ethics of it, we should not we should not consume more Watchmen media and feel good about it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? If you're looking at it through that lens, it's kind of hard.
1: Sure. Um, I guess my first reaction would be that I don't know that there, I'll, I'll have a hot take and say that I don't know that there should not be more Watchmen. Sure. Yeah. Um, But we'll get into the specifics of my qualifiers there later. Um, The one thing I would interrupt to say, however, is that there's a popular misconception that Moore's fallout with DC was over creator rights. Yeah. And if you go back to read his interviews uh, in 87 and 88 after he published Watchmen, it was actually based off of their new morality rules that were coming into play. Mm. Um, Which I think becomes a really interesting factor later on when we talk about adaptations. Because that's really about who gets control, who gets to pick their own audience, um, what responsibility and respect that we give readers. And that was Moore's original disagreement. His argument about creator rights didn't come up until, I think, the 90s. Mm. Because the the first interviews I could find are all him talking about the uh, the new morals and rating guides that DC and Marvel were both introducing at the time due to it being like the end of the Reagan era, beginning of the Bush se- uh, senior era, and that transfer yeah. period.
0: That's a really good point, and it brings up a point that I, I meant to drop at the top of this, which is Watchmen, Watchmen-related material, deals with some pretty sensitive graphic issues, I think. Mm-hmm. So as far as content goes, I think like, we're going, you know, typically comic carol conversations, we approach these in a, a pretty friendly, all-ages manner. Um, <laughs> I think we are going to continue to do so. That said, there are some pretty sensitive adult themes that may not be appropriate for some audiences um, and and may not be things that you necessarily want to listen to. So be, be forewarned, this is a comic. And it definitely, that's a big part of Watchmen's legacy, I think in a lot of ways, is it is for better or for worse that the... the one of the tipping points for like grim and gritty comics, right? So what we think of now as like the serious maturation of the medium. You know, Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Sandman, a little bit later, right? These are all books that are like you can talk about adult things. Well, that has meant for some creators like, oh, that means that all of crime, you know, in its in all its glory, can be discussed in the comic book page, and not all comics are prepared to do that well, right? So that's that's a part of Watchmen's legacy. As well, I think. Let's get to then the next question. We were both we both saw the the comedian button in the back cave. We were both like, ah, okay, where are we going here? It raises yeah. the bigger question: Can comics end, and should they end? All right. So you already kind of started talking here about. You actually don't necessarily think Watchmen, there shouldn't be more Watchmen. Because I I think my initial take would just be, Watchmen is my favorite comic of all time. 12 issues are as good as I think the comics medium can do, right? If I'm going to rank it first, I'm saying they are a near perfect 12 issues. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... But they're very, like, should there... The idea of a sequel has almost become a running gag, you know? You know, like the idea of Watchmen 2, at least from 2011 until now, is kind of like kind of a joke. Like, why would you do that? You don't need a sequel. Should Should Watchmen have ended? What's your opinion here?
1: Uh, so I think that Alan Moore's Watchmen should have ended, to which I mean, like, I think they should have closed the book on Dr. Manhattan, Rorschach, Not el Silk Spectre, Ozymandias, the whole group. Yeah. But I like the idea of Watchmen being an almost imprint to work under. Okay. Where people can riff on some of the approaches that Moore was taking. Um, they can spend more of their time making this deeply considered high quality piece. Uh, that's definitely what uh, Moore and Gibbons did. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of the places where Watchmen, I don't know, what do we want to call them? Interpretations or sequels or whatever comes after. Anybody who did Watchmen that wasn't Alan Moore, uh, I think a lot of that falls apart by trying either to rely too heavily on what he did, or by not the time to understand why his stuff worked, which was not necessarily the characters. Mm-hmm. You know I, I think that's kind of where I approach that from. As for the other question about can they end or should they end, you know, definitely I, I personally believe that some comics should be allowed to end. Yeah. I think that it should be all right to be able to say like this is, this is as good as this is getting or like we are ending on a really strong note let's not open it back up yeah but I don't think they can end um, not in terms of DC or Marvel comics anyways I think that there will always be a forced issue in keeping these things printing money
0: yeah I don't think there's an intellectual property has become a buzzword mm-hmm. in media conversation over the last however many years and I think you know probably the most famous example is Star Wars you know yeah. it's just like yeah if something is big enough and something has a large enough fan base, it's coming back. And that is just the reality of entertainment as we know it in this cultural moment. So it's not surprising that DC would be like, we're bringing Watchmen back. Honestly, the more surprising part is that they waited as long as they did. Yeah. They actually made it. Until more or less, you know, if we count the movie 2009, if we count before Watchmen 2011, I don't want to slap him too hard on the back here. But like, that's actually a good run of not bringing it back. Yeah, it's so over 20 years. Yeah. So I, I tend to agree that like, it's not inherently bothersome to me, this idea of bringing it back. And I think what we're talking about when we look at Doomsday Clock and HBO Watchmen is... It just, it's so much comes down to the approach, mm-hmm. the ideas, and the reverence mm-hmm. towards towards this, this thing that Moore, Gibbons, and Higgins created. Because Doomsday Clock, I think, I'll just, cat's out of the bag here, I think misses a lot. HBO Watchmen, I'm watching, and I'm exhilarated. I'm no. watching this like, oh, they got it. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they got it. And that is... Um, like tremendously exciting. So I'd be lying if I said, nope, close the door. Nobody should touch this. I don't feel that way. And I think think honestly, like as a comic book fan, it would be hard for me to make that case for almost anything because uh, the superhero medium that I love is all about not doing that. Is all about yeah. Spider-Man will exist and has existed since 1962, 63, mm-hmm. and and people are just going to keep telling stories and keep being the caretaker of this of this character, even if it's not good. So to me, it's just like such an inherent part of the genre, jo- like the genre. Yeah, and Watchmen is superhero genre as much as it deconstructs it. Um, it just I don't know, it just like makes sense. That's how I that's how I enjoy this entertainment. So, I think with Star Wars, the one thing you see is. And the thing that Disney recently realized is less is more. A lot mm-hmm. of times there is in there's a danger to overexposure. And that's my biggest hope here with Watchmen is less is more. D- if you're going to do them, it's a big deal. You know, yeah. it's a big moment. Um, Even if it doesn't work, it needs to be a big moment. If we see next year, DC's got a line of Rorschach, Night Owl, Silk Spectre ongoings <laughs> and a, a Rorschach Batman team up comic. That's going to be really bad. That's got to be <laughs> coming though.
1: That's got to be coming.
0: That that I don't like the idea of, and I don't think it's just me being old man, get off my lawn. <laughs> like I think that is destined to fail. I really do. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, Moore's comic, you know, Moore's original 12 issues, um, I don't know that they're necessarily deconstructing, deconstruction, but that's a literary nerd argument we can have at another time. Uh, I think that it's... I think I agree know, with you, for the record. Yeah, well, good. Um, I think it's the issue that Moore was making a commentary in a lot of ways about where comics were at at the time yeah and i think that's part of why it needed to end because that was part of the statement you know that the the whole package was considered so i don't know i go back and forth about that one but yeah to your point i mean do we just want to switch over to talk about um doomsday clock now or is there anything we got in the
0: yeah yeah let's let's start with i want to start with the positives Okay. Because I think, you know, you and I were talking about this uh, a little bit before we started and there's an inherent there's an inherent obviousness to discussing Doomsday Clock in terms of saying like, well, is it as good as Watchmen? And that is a bar <laughs> that yeah. we should not be holding Doomsday Clock to. It no. does not make sense to do so and it only is going to bring negativity into like obvious negativity, uninteresting negativity into the conversation. So what I want to talk about first is what does Doomsday Clock do well? What do we like? And for those who are coming in fresh, Doomsday Clock—it's a twelve-issue series <laughs> that has taken forever to come out. It's uh, <laughs> written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank, and it's uh, it's it's DC's sequel to Watchmen, in which they bring the DC universe and the Watchmen universe together. Right, that is the premise. Is basically looking at um, the situation where the Watchmen characters are traveling to the DC universe. What does it do well? So I'll let you start. I have uh, a couple things that I actually really like. But what are your, what are your takes on like where this comic succeeds?
1: I think that you know Jeff Johns does his his usual great job of finding interesting hooks and interesting um, visual metaphors from within the Watchmen story to bring over the DC universe. Uh, for example, it's a small moment, but I really liked how. He treated um the new Rorschach's hallucinations while he was in Arkham. Yeah. That felt really good because it's a cross between, you know, uh a Moore's influence, but then the traditional DC influence on how he's kind of working it out, showing him imagining the squid's eye on the doctor's head. Yeah. That's that's a good blending of the worlds there. Um Man, beyond that though, like it's it gets tricky. He does I think John's does the best job possible of doing an impossible task. <laughs> the idea of Yeah, right. Because it if I had to. You and I were talking about this earlier about like what was the purpose behind Doomsday Clock. And my argument off the air was that I think it was just a business plan. It was just how do we get Watchmen characters into DC continuity. Right. How do we get Manhattan to meet Superman, which fans want? How do we get Rorschach to meet Batman, that fans want? Yeah, um, I I think that was literally the directive that they gave him, and Johns has done. If we judge it on that grounds, Johns has done you know an all right job of saying, okay, we're going to make this a, an event so that we can wrap as many DC characters. Around as many Watchmen characters as possible to entangle them. Yes, you know, I I think that that was that was a good plan.
0: Um, so so I want to pl- I want to spin off that before I say mm-hmm. what I liked because that is very much aligned with with some thoughts I had, which is to say there's a really strange pull to Doomsday Clock both trying to operate as a Watchmen sequel, which is an insanely mm-hmm. ambitious undertaking, right? Yeah, you're, like you said, it's the impossible job, and as the driving in universe, in continuity, DC universe event. Yeah. Like this is a classic DC event style structure, and this will be taken as more of an insult than I probably intend. Um, actually, definitely, it's it's not intended as an insult. Doomsday Clock belongs more in a conversation with Infinite Crisis than it does with Watchmen. Yes, it is correct. It is a way more similar comic.
1: One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, with with the Jeff Johns written Infinite Crisis, which I really like. Actually, I like Infinite Crisis, especially in the context. Of the tie-ins around it and some of the interesting things that, like, Greg Rucka was doing with OMAX, and, you know, it's all kind of besides the point, but, like, that's a very 2006, here's what the DC Universe is statement, right, Mm -hmm. and playing with the past and the continuity of DC. That's what Doomsday Clock is doing, and there's a part of me that would have rather seen this book fleshed out in, like, Dark Knight's metal tie-in event scale like, yeah. 20 tie-ins around it that actually yeah. just say, like, we're just going to do this like the normal DC event instead of saying, here's the 12 standalone definitive Watchmen sequel issues, because yeah. it doesn't work that way. Well, it's no, but they did
1: that because Watchmen was 12 issues, just like they, did I, the, yeah. they tried to do the nine-panel grid that Johns doesn't really appear to know how to work with.
0: The nine-panel grid, it, there's a much bigger conversation around it, I think, honestly, just as, like, a comics craft thing, because that's so much of Tom King's rise to from yeah. prominence, honestly, and and he uses it at times brilliantly. I think both of us have talked about Mr. Miracle. is oh, gonna God, be, It's yeah. going to go down as one of our absolute favorite comics of the decade, you know? It's been some debate about where <laughs> <laughs> on that list it's going to be. <laughs> I will work um, you down. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, the nine-panel grid is... That formalism and that Watchmen, like, craft bit about how to make a comic in that style, it's weighing Franks and Johns down. They can't seem to shake it and it's just yeah. like, not everyone works that way. Not every story Nobody. works that way. And they're trying to do it only, not because the story demands it, but because Watchmen did it. Yeah. And you can feel that. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's like, you're you're being pulled by Adrian Veidt's nostalgia. <laughs> you're not being pulled down by your own storytelling directions. Did, right. I get, did I say that right? I've been saying it wrong for years, I realized, on HBO Watchmen. No, you know? it's Veidt. Yeah. Adrian Vite. I've been saying Veidt, I think, forever? Well, I think in the
1: motion comic that DC put out, it was Veidt. Okay, which is very funny. Yeah, it probably should be Vite just because I think it's Germanic in origin. Yeah, ger-
0: he's German. His parents are German. Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're German immigrants. I think so. All right. So that was. Th- I'm glad you said that because that was definitely something I want to get to. I think in terms of what I think Doomstick Clock does well, what do I like? Um, first thing, <laughs> Jeff Johns introduced me to Nathaniel Dusk. Which is a miniseries written by Don McGregor and uh, with art by Gene Colan in the 1980s for DC. Did you know this? Did you know about this book? No. So the movie, The Adjournment, is in Watchmen, there's the Black Freighter comic, which is a story within a story, which is, like, my all-time favorite comics trope. (laughs) Like, I love stories within stories. And, (laughs) uh, And he's doing it here with The Adjournment, which is a Nathaniel Dusk private eye thing. I assume that was a Doomsday Clock creation. It is not. That's actually a McGregor and Colin uh, miniseries that they wrote for DC. So huh. that's one of the things that John's is. He's famously a, a DC continuity buff. You know, He pulls that from actual DC Comics history. That's really cool. That's a really that nice is... touch. And, uh, and the only reason I knew that or the only reason I found it out is because at one point he lists the director of the movie as Don McGregor. And I'm like, that's I. Don McGregor wrote Panther's Rage, the amazing yeah. Black Panther comics. I'm like, that's too big of a coincidence. So I looked it up, and that's how I <laughs> figured it out. So that's a nice, nice in-universe nod. Um, a couple. Oh, and the other thing is like, I do generally like one of the biggest reveals in Doomsday Clocks comes in issue ten, and uh, this is when Johns finally delivers on what his Doctor Manhattan been doing. Right. So the big, the big hook in DC Rebirth universe is at the end of the issue. There's been this blue hand, you know, that has sort of been guiding the DC universe. And, and everyone's immediate assumption is, oh, that's probably Dr. Manhattan. Well, turns out it was Dr. Manhattan. We were right all along. <laughs> and in issue number 10, it takes a long time to get there, but in issue number 10, we see him explain what he's been doing. And this is where Johns unveils the concept of the metaverse. Okay, so there's a there's a multiverse in Marvel. We've got an omniverse, which is a collection of multiverses. And now we have in D.C. the metaverse. This whole concept is very up my alley because (laughs) it's it's John's as that D.C. historian trying to explain the publisher side of business through in-universe. Yeah,
1: you're that's a good point. I. I kind of discounted that at first because I have some issues with the execution, but as, you're yes. right. As an idea, that's really good. Especially since uh, DC put the kibosh on the multiverse after Flashpoint, I think. I think that's right.
0: Well, the multiverse is around.
1: No, Dan Didio canceled it, unless it's been renewed since he canceled it.
0: So, I mean, I, th- I think that multiversity <laughs> gives us our 52 world Well done. Our 52 world map. And in Dark Knight's Metal, we get the inverse of the multiverse. Because if you turn the map over, <laughs> there's fifty-two Dark Worlds. That's cool. <laughs> so there there are these. I think what it is, it's now it's it's um defined. Okay. Instead of the Marvel Marvel's multiverse is forever. There's no limit. DC's multiverse, unless they've changed this recently, is is fifty-two positive, fifty-two negative Earths. I think that still stands. Post okay. New 52, at least. Um, but long story short, with the metaverse, this is Dr. Manhattan saying like, well, Superman's been born a bunch of times throughout history, specifically mm-hmm. 1939 and like 1986, for example. Right. And there's different origin stories. And what we know as Superman fans is, well, he was created by Joe Simon and Drew Schuster in uh, in 1939. And then post Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, John Byrne got to retell the, the origins of Superman and Man of Steel. And Dr. Manhattan's basically saying, like, these different moments are part of the metaverse and that all of these different Superman retellings throughout history. Basically, it's basically it's kind of the Grant Morrison thing with Batman where he's like, everything happened, everything mm-hmm. that, you know, in Batman history happened. And I'm just going to mash it all together. Johns is doing that, but he's giving it a name. He's giving it a name and he's saying, like, it happened and here's how it happened because Dr. Manhattan is like, you know, traveling and pulling strings and, and always has been kind of thing. It's very high-minded, like, you know, crazy, like, how does how does DC time add up? Um, but it's it's kind of fun to think about because I like the idea of all of DC history mattering and counting, and this is the way that they do it, is through this Yeah, that's right up idea. your alley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that stuff's pretty... I don't know that it's well done, but it is definitely well thought out.
1: I, I like it as a concept, I really do. And I think if the book had had a little bit more time to play with that... I think Johns would have done a great job. Yeah. You know, he's his expansion of the Speed Force uh, is directly indicative of what he could have done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe he still will after, uh, after Doomsday Clock ends. Maybe he'll come back and he'll flesh these things out or something. But then again, he does have a habit of leaving dangling plot threads. So, yeah. like, we still don't know why exactly the Comedian is alive. Other than I'm sure
0: that DC wanted the IP. Is we wanted, yeah, is we wanted a comedian in the story, right? It's like yeah. that That could have been a lot of people. And so, yeah, okay. I don't want to get to it yet. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so those are the things I think we liked about Doomsday Clock. And I think obviously you can tell at this point from the, the way we're talking about this that it's a little bit harder to come up with the stuff that we think is really working because this comic is kind of a mess. And yeah. it doesn't, it definitely does not live up to the standards that it set for itself, frankly. Um, I think both you and I would say like generally positive feelings about Jeff Johns as a writer and a creator. Yeah. Um. I I really like his Green Lantern work. That was some of like the formative DC comics for me. Getting into getting into comics. That said, I think there's the idea of a response to Watchmen is very exciting to me. That's very up my alley. Yeah. And you have plenty of examples. There's the, the reason I held up multiversity is because I actually just read Pax Americana, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely story within that that is a, a riff on what if Moran Gibbons pitched Watchmen in 2019, right? That's a response to Watchmen. There's a book this year, 2019, Karen Gillen and Peter Wingard delivered one that I raved about in our Best Comics 2019 podcast, uh, Peter Can of Thunderbolt. That's five issues saying we need to move on beyond Watchmen, yeah. but also riffing on it at the same time, right? So there's the idea of these responses. The idea of a writer so wholly known for superhero comics writing giving the superhero response to Watchmen, and that's Jeff Johns, is is at least full of potential, you know? Mm-hmm. And in interviews, Johns has been saying, like, I, I was imagining Dr. Manhattan and Superman talking about their different philosophies, and presumably that's what issue 12 is going to be, right? We haven't actually read the yeah. conclusion yet. Um, This is one of the biggest letdowns of the, of the issue to me is instead of Johns leaning into his strengths and being like, I'm a superhero mm-hmm. guy, I'm going to write a superhero comic explaining or responding to Watchmen's sort of, again, like we said, famous deconstruction. I think ultimately you and I are like, uh, actually, it's not... It's still a superhero story, I think, at the end of the day. Um, he's doing an Alan Moore impersonation, more than anything. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I a lot of that is true, but then stuff falls out,
1: and I don't know what he's doing.
0: I don't think it's a particularly convincing impersonation. No.
1: Well, he is... Man, I love Johns' uh, ability to craft a story. I love his ability to zoom in on, like, particular parts of it. Uh, you know, specifically, he usually... He usually dives into a theme, a single theme in a book, Mm -hmm. and then makes every last part of it revolve around that theme. So Green Lantern was all about overcoming fear. Um, The Flash, his run on The Flash was all about how the fastest man in the world needs to slow down and enjoy life. Yeah. Uh, You know, the Justice Society of America was all about family. There's, I, I can't remember what, oh, Aquaman was fish out of water. When he falls apart, it's when he ditches that basis as a theme, yeah. uh, which happened in his Justice League run, and is happening in Spades right now. Because I don't know what we are—eleven issues out of twelve in—and I'm not
0: certain what the theme is. I think I think neither of us know what Doomsday Clock is trying to do. Like you, like you yeah. said, aside from bringing Watchmen in, what yeah. is it trying to do? And and this is what I was talking about as it as letting it operate as an infinite crisis style event would have made more sense is it's also trying to be that in universe, like big game changing event, but it, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with anything else happening in DC comics. You know, it's like, it's, it's running in parallel to year Mm -hmm. of the villain justice league. It's running in parallel to heroes in crisis, which gets referenced in this. It doesn't add up.
1: And I No, hilariously, it's almost its own pocket universe. The way that, watchman was totally and i can't think that that's intentional that has just to be because of how long it's taken to come out yeah that writers have just abandoned it
0: yeah i think that's that's one of the biggest problems is the timing for this book was like six months after rebirth you know and instead they waited i mean what at least a year maybe longer you know and then the book itself has taken several years to come out so one thing that i always find kind of I don't know, I'm not sure it holds water, is like when people are critiquing a book a decade later and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, the book took forever to come out and that clouds my judgment of it. It doesn't matter to somebody reading it a decade later. You know what I mean? Like when you're reading it on DC Universe and you're binging it all at once or whatever the heck this thing's going to be called, you know, HBO Universe in 10 years. um, (laughs) (laughs) Like it doesn't matter to you. But in the moment, the publication cadence has mattered a lot, I think. So let's let's from there look at the, the TV show a little bit more. Because I think it colors a little bit about this idea of what is Watchmen supposed to be? If Doomsday Clock isn't it, and I think we're both kind of in agreement that it's not. You know, it's it's a it's a muddled attempt to merge Watchmen and DC characters. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's, try, it's trying to do it in the more Gibbons-Higgins style. And it's all kind of just in the middle. It's all kind of in the middle yeah. of the road. We're not totally sure what the, the questions are. Honestly, like the whole idea around the Superman theory is the hook of like the arms race in this one and why are all super powered people american it's not an interesting hook to me and it just it kind of falls apart honestly it it could have been but up against up against the
1: scale of how many heroes are involved and now two universes are involved it doesn't hold up to that yeah you know if they had zeroed in on that as a theme on american exceptionalism let's say as a theme I think they could have done something with it yeah I don't I don't understand what they're doing right now yeah Um, but yeah let's I guess the only other thing that I would say to close off Jeff Johns is that while I do love him as uh, a storyteller he's you know incredibly literal and I don't quite understand why he was picked for this book because he really he doesn't have the poetry in his soul that uh, uh, Alan Moore or Grant Morrison or a Neil Gaiman or somebody from that ilk does. Yeah. So it feels like just such a tonal mismatch trying to make him write, you know, an Alan Moore story.
0: That's that's why I think the the impersonation thing is such a mistake. Is because yeah. that is not John's strength. That's not what he does. So plus, it misses the point of Watchmen entirely. Yeah, like and, the actual book, right? And and right, exactly. To come in and just say, "Oh, we're just going to do it again." I, the also, there. If I'm going to like really get on him with a criticism, the arrogance, the ego to step in and think, "Oh, I can just do, <laughs> I can just do it." <laughs> right? It, it's crazy. that'll be fine. It's crazy. Like there's <laughs> nothing. There's nothing in your your catalog, which is deep, no. which runs to you know twenty years, and it, it is many eyes good. Many Eisner's, exactly. There's nothing in there that suggests you can write an Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, Higgins comic, you know? So, like, the arrogance there to step in and think you can do that is is bewildering. I don't know why why that would be the thought. And yeah, it doesn't. It hasn't happened. And again, like we haven't read the twelfth issue. It's a little bit like Heroes in Crisis. I, I think to me where it's like a- after issue eight, people are like, well, wait and see how it ends on issue nine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's at this no point. runway left. The experience. There's no runway. Right. Like you've run. Yeah, exactly. You've run out of room to make this a win. And yeah, and issue eleven already is starting to just cram in last minute information. Eleven feels was an like. exposition comic. Yeah, eleven was here's what's happened
1: so far because oh, it's and been a so please creep reading at the end. Oh my god! Like that, those last two pages
0: are just like, please buy the next one. I I think eleven was the worst issue of yeah the bunch. You know, I definitely like okay okay you yeah. we you've you've heard <laughs> us <laughs> you know we don't love Doomsday Clock. Yeah. I wouldn't say I hate it. I just think it's kind of no. a letdown, especially when you th- consider the standards. You've set the standard for yourself, and it's it's falling very very short, right?
1: I uh, I think the best way to, for me to say it would be that I'm frustrated by it. Yeah. Because it could have been it could have been anything else, and it
0: wasn't. Yeah, sure. So that that gets to me between Doomsday Clock and HBO Watchmen. You have two creative teams with the what I think is like the exact same idea, and they have completely varied levels of execution. So HBO Watchmen makes it makes following up Watchmen look like a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think so far, we again we watched three issue, three episodes, and I've like I said, been completely blown away at their ability to tell a Watchmen sequel. Yeah, Doomsday Clock on the other hand feels like the proof that DC Comics should have left this work the hell alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. By the time I got into comic books, like I said, the idea of a Watchmen sequel was a running gag. Have you ever read Chip Zdarsky's pitch for Watchmen two? He wrote this it was published on like Warren Ellis's website in the early 2010s. No, you know but about? now I need to. I love Chip Zdarsky. I have to put this in the show notes then. I have to track Please. this down because it's hilarious and it also is like the perfect encapsulation of of the idea of following up Watchmen just by like upping the ante. So one of Chip's hooks is like, "Ooh, in the in the first one, Dr. Manhattan had full frontal nudity. So guess what we're going to get? We're going to get backside nudity." <laughs> <laughs> And it's like grotesque drawings of Dr. Manhattan, oh, but. no. <laughs> oh, shit. It's, it's not what you want to see, but it's simultaneously perfect. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So given that context, HBO Watchmen, Damon Lindelof, and, and the entire crew step in, and they say the same thing as Doomsday Clock, amazingly. Yeah. Like, we're going to do a sequel. We're just going to do X years later in the, in the Watchmen universe, but it's working. It's yeah. working so well. I have two questions here. Why Why is this working better as a response, as a follow-up? And then two, does the medium actually help? Does, is it, it, the? I feel like a comic sequel to Watchmen playing in the same ballpark? Yeah. Playing on Moore and Gibbons and Higgins terms is an impossible job? Yeah. And TV's feeling it, making it feel like it's not an impossible job. Do you think there's something to that or is it just because the story's good?
1: I think the, well, let's start with the second question first. I think that... The change in medium you bring up—that's a really, that's a really good idea. Because yeah, we do interpret it differently. If mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily that, like the the venue of television is doing it great favors, but yeah. you're right in that it's a completely different thing. We are more free to to judge it as its own thing. Yeah, um, I think that's absolutely right. And actually, no, maybe. I think television does change it because uh, there's a lot of stuff that Moore writes that you just can't have a human say out loud. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. you know, where people don't talk that way, no matter how beautiful it is on page. Sure. So I think definitely, yeah, the, the medium helps in that way. Um, I'm sorry, the cold medication is catching
0: me. What was the first question? <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. You know, the other piece with the medium that I actually think, because like, my one thought was it like, okay, because I kind of came to that revelation. I'm like, oh, I think it's, I think the medium's actually helping it a ton because mm-hmm. it's just like I'm watching it on TV as opposed to like I'm used to judging it as a comic. Yeah, and I judge a lot of comics now, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's how I spend a lot of my time, <laughs> but I don't judge as much TV. So I think that helps. But then you think about like the 2009 movie, and it's like, well, it's not, it's not a, it's not a de facto win just to move the medium, right? So I, I do think it's important to delineate like. Just because it's off of the page doesn't mean it's gonna be better. No. In this instance though, it helps. Take a the lot. creativity and the approach, it helps. Exactly. Yeah. Um, even something like the the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score. Yeah. It's like that's something you can't get in the comic medium, even though Alan Moore has done inventive things with music and comics. Sure. You can't get that same vibe. Like the thrill I get every time they punch those those tracks in when uh when Regina King's character is putting oh, on yeah. the sister and I, Oh my goodness, you can't get that in a comic. So that stuff's amazing. Um, the first part of the question was effectively, what is HBO Watchmen doing? Why do we think it's working? Why do we think it's working as a sequel where Doomsday Clock does not?
1: So for me, um, and thank you for reminding me, for me, the, uh, it's working because the someone involved, uh, either you know Damon Littleoff or the, the script writers, I don't know who, someone took the time to pick apart Watchmen and said, what do people actually like about this? Why does this mm-hmm. thing work? And it was brave enough to introduce new characters, new plot ideas, stuff that's not just purely referential to the source mm-hmm. material. Um, yeah. I think, you know, to your point, Doomsday Clock kind of falled apart, you know, fell apart, rather, uh, because it was so relying on these tricks. You know, uh, the the Coleman Black, uh, Black Freighter, the issue four of Doomsday Clock is just the Abyss Gaze, is also the Rorschach in Jail from the original run issue 7 is the watchmaker's son, etc. Um, yeah. you know, it's just these kind of rehashes. Well, this this television series went through and said, "Okay, so we want to do social commentary. We want that commentary to feel dangerous." Right. Uh, and we want to, you know, kind of z- zero in on the characters themselves and follow them tightly rather than just following an event as it's unfolding. Yeah. Uh I think that all of those are tremendously successful. I I have some some misgivings about other parts, but you know, by focusing in on the uh the issue of racial injustice, they've really made that show topical the way that Watchmen was topical. And right. it's kind of talking about something that we're very bad about talking about just like Watchmen was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a great way to say it. I also think One of the biggest differences between the two is there's a wonder and mystery to the TV show Hmm. mirrored against the absolute lack of mystery in Doomsday Clock. Yeah. Like, the TV show is saying, it's it's a very rewarding experience to have read Watchmen, and especially, like, I just reread it. Having just reread it and watching the show, I'm getting a lot more out of it. Mm -hmm. The references are tighter, the Easter eggs are closer, but they're also, like, they're relevant. They're not just like. I mean, there are Easter eggs, of course, that are just fun little like. Oh, there's a uh, flight of the Valkyries in the background or something, but like a ride of the Valkyries. Um, but like there's also like, oh, Lori Blake shows up and she's going by Blake. Yeah. And and then you read. Have you read the back matter for the the Watchmen series? This PediPedia thing. No. Oh my gosh. Go to the go to the HBO Watchmen website and they've got this thing called pedipedia. And there are these FBI files, and they're doing the the back matter stuff that Watchmen did in each issue. They would have, you know, um, excerpts from Hollis Maces' Minutemen, right? But in this, they're doing okay. This episode here's uh, the legal case for reparations that was made in this Watchmen universe, and or here's a clip explaining a memo explaining the FBI's approach to declaring Adrian Veidt dead. Mm-hmm. It's. Fantastic. It adds so much detail to the world. Hmm. And it's like having just reread it, I'm getting so much more out of it. And one thing I realized is there's the the entertainment has to has to convince you to want to read that stuff. Yeah. So in Watchmen, the back matter is like, yes, I want more. And after you read that first excerpt, you're like, Oh, this is Alan Moore is fully committed to making this excellent. Even like like Night Owl's um what is it, ornithology journal oh. entry on birds? It's like, you know how many ornithology journals I've read <laughs> in my life, John? <laughs> it's a pretty small number. Yeah. And I want to read it every time I get to it. The show's doing the same thing, and then it's offering this PDPedia thing that I found recently is like as much fun. And then Doomsday Clock has Back Matter. And every mm-hmm. time I get to it, especially as the series progressed, I was less and less interested yeah. in actually reading them. It was just like it's not winning me over there's not mystery to this that i want i you know i'm hungry for details i'm hungry for the world building and learning more about this place that i don't quite understand that is familiar Mm -hmm. yet different doomsday clock doesn't have that magic and i think so much of it is because the mystery that was teased in 2016 the answer has been right there all along yeah it's just like oh is it dr manhattan yes it's dr manhattan how is it dr manhattan well issue 10 kind of Goes into it a little bit more, but like there's nothing more to it than that.
1: Really? Well, it's it's also the fact that wrapping something as familiar as the DC continuity around Watchmen takes a lot of the mystery out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's unfortunate but true.
0: Yeah. So I I would totally agree with you that the the HBO Watchmen series has been surprising. Yeah. I would say. Surprisingly kind of special. Mm -hmm. Um and I and I've also just been surprised by like Again, you actually said before we started recording, there's a chance that they had read some of Doomsday Clock before putting HBO Watchmen together Mm -hmm. because otherwise, though, it's just like there are – it's fascinating to me the idea that they didn't and that Lindelof cues everyone writing, everyone involved. They came to some of the same conclusions, but Mm -hmm. in such – but then executed in such different ways yeah. as like Johns and Frank on Doomsday Clock. Because, you know, for example, they're both like, well, Rorschach obviously is the POV character here, right, in, yeah. in Watchmen. Doomsday Clock decides, well, that means we're going to introduce a new Rorschach. Yeah. And actually, we're going to, we are going to kind of respond to the ultra-conservative, potentially, um, Rorschach is not a hero. No, no. In Watchmen, right? And I think that's a big misconception. It's one of the biggest things that both are playing with. Doomsday Clock's answer to that is: We're going to make him the victim, the victimized son of mm-hmm. Rorschach's psychologist, and also he's going to be African American, yeah. which takes a lot of that like neocon potential racism that like maybe isn't too explicit with Rorschach, but is explicit in the New Frontiersman paper that he's obsessed with. Mm. You know what I mean? Like at a minimum, that's the media he's consuming. Um, it takes that and it puts it, but it puts it in very just like, well, our answer is to make him African American. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't get explored more than that. HBO Watchmen—that's the whole. That's the hook. Yeah. That's the show so far.
1: Which makes so much more sense and works so much better because uh, it's it's difficult to say why this is an issue, but I don't know that making first of all making a new Rorschach is is fraught with problems to begin with, but the idea that merely changing his race somehow fixes a problem with the book, that's just, that's just the wrong idea because it doesn't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, the purpose of Rorschach's character who, you know, for those who don't know, more created Rorschach as a way of satirizing and lampooning the ultra dark and highly violent and conservative characters of um, Frank Miller. Like Mm -hmm. that's, Rorschach is not only not supposed to be a, a hero, but he's supposed to be disliked.
0: So I don't. He's also based on he's also based on the famously objectivist, Ayn Randian, Steve Ditko question character. That's true, right? Yeah. So like, there's a, there's an additional degree of lampooning there. You know, I will I will say too, reading Watchmen again, I do like Rorschach. <laughs> like that's the that's the trick mm-hmm. to him. Is it's a it's a satirization, but then like maybe maybe likes the wrong word. I feel sympathy for him by the end. You know, like I do feel bad for him, and that's kind of an amazing trick yeah in Watchmen, because i don't know that you're supposed to i guess it's because we're in his head so much yeah it's the protagonist Um, problem yeah yeah exactly but some of it too is like they take when they take his face when the police beat him up Mm -hmm. you know and it's like he's so he's so lost without it he's so broken and he's wearing um he's wearing elevated shoes yeah because he wants to be seen as taller and like that one that part always is just like oh man this this poor guy even though he's got some really messed up yeah. <laughs> world views, right? Um. Anyway, you were saying. Uh. Oh. So I don't. I don't think that s-
1: by simply changing his because changing his his ethnicity didn't do a whole lot. It didn't add a new dimension to the character, mm-hmm. in the way that Regina King in the HBO show adds a whole new dimension to the world. You know, yeah, it right. it it breaks things wide open. Um. Which, for obvious reasons, I don't think John's could have done in the in the space allotted to him in the twelve issue doomsday clock, yeah that's there's been some work in that show that on um on racial injustice that I've absolutely loved. I love that they brought in Bass Reeves, both because that's you know a spectacular story uh he was the u s marshal who they uh highlighted in episode two um but also because. That inclusion of Bass Reeves sort of feels like an Alan Mooreism, without it being a literal Alan Mooreism. There you, you know, go. it's yeah, a it's a right. tonal reference or a feel reference, as opposed to you know, hey, we're gonna add in um, you know more Adrian Veidt company stuff corporate stuff yeah
0: yeah i think that's that's a nice way to put it is taking the spirit of Moore's research Mm -hmm. as opposed to literal textual references which is a lot of what doomsday clock is you know and that's that's like you said like jeff johns is famously probably like the most literal comic book creator i've ever (laughs) i've ever encountered you know like he's like his whole like green lantern hook which i love is just like oh there's green so there must be other colors (laughs) right so we'll expand the spectrum which actually I think is based on an Alan Moore idea. There's something in the There's something in his Green Lantern run that is definitely based on one of the few Green Lantern um, Moore comics, and I'm, mm. I'm spacing on what it is now because it's not the F sharp bell. No, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. He's so literal, and he, that his textual reference is like, "Oh, Doctor Manhattan said he's going to another galaxy," at the end of Watchmen. Right, and he hits that beat several times, and then that's literally what happens. Right. Is like, oh, well, that's the DC universe. Right. And I, I on one hand, I kind of appreciate that as the way to get from point A to point B. But it's also it's not adding mystery and wonder yeah. in the way that Watchmen makes me like you said, like Bass Reeves, the Tulsa Massacre. It's yeah. historical and 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 devastating mm-hmm. and real and real. And, like, it hits with a a world-building, yeah. a tonal world-build that is like, I need to know more about this place because it's both somewhere I live and somewhere totally mysterious to me. Yeah,
1: and I love uh, when you bring up the Tulsa mass- Massacre, not only is that a spectacular story that people really should know, um, and it, it definitely is that, but also it's such an interesting twist on the reference material because where Watchmen ends with this gigantic bloody massacre and a town being destroyed— that's mm-hmm. how the new Watchmen on HBO begins. Yeah, you know that's a yeah. nice little little sympathy between the two. That it was smart, just from a structural standpoint.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. No, it makes it feel like a, a continuation. Mm-hmm. Like like that's a more that's a very more Watchmen trick. Is you say, um, you know, the the person ends the bottom right panel with we need to turn a corner, mm-hmm. and on panel one, the next page, someone's literally turning a corner. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's that like okay, the beat is violence. And violence continues. Violence begets violence, right? But it's a different different context. Okay. So, the point you just brought up that I want to explore a little bit more is is how much Doomsday Clock clings to what I would call Jeff Johns' greatest hits, <laughs> um, and and why that is a little disappointing. Why don't Why don't you start, and then I'll I'll see if there's any ideas I had there that that you know cap it off. Yeah. I mean,
1: it it really sticks to his normal approach to doing things, um, which falls apart doing it, which is a shame. But it's also his reaching back into continuity uh, doesn't yeah. doesn't really work here for me, and his reaching back into his own greatest hits is sort of uh, it doesn't land. Like the fact that the Green Lanterns play a huge role in this story is not mm-hmm. surprising That's it's Jeff Johns. Yeah. Nor was it the fact that the Flash and the Speed Force play a big role in this. Um, the reintroduction of Johnny Thunder. And Wally West were both interesting, but they also felt exactly like what Johns would do. Yep. I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like a big departure stretch in that regard.
0: Well, the other ones that are very Johnsian to me is Black Adam being mm-hmm. a central player. That's big from his JSA run. Big from Fifty Two, mm-hmm. bringing him in as the you know the refuge for metahumans in Cadet right. is a very is very much just like oh he's bringing out all the all the old toys. Going back to the JSA, he loves the JSA, obviously. Sort of explaining why they've been missing in DC continuity. um, Yeah. But also, like, but also not. I mean, it seems like a, like, the central mysteries that DC Rebirth teased were, what happened to Wally West? Mm -hmm. Where's the JSA? And then one that gets pitched here that I don't know that I was really asking, but it's like, what's the deal with the Legion? You know, the Legion Superheroes in the future? Yeah. Two of those three get explored in some detail in Doomsday Clock. The JSA and Legion stuff, like you have Johnny Thunder and you have Saturn Girl, both around. And I, even that, I have, a, I'd have to like read it again, which I do not want to do. <laughs> but there's like, there's a, um, there's a hint that like, well, Doctor Manhattan screwed with JSA time. Because he moved Alan Scott's lantern. Alan Scott died, and the JSA was never born, right? Yeah. And then, like Lex Luthor's got all these things. He's like, I found pictures of of John and and what is it, Janie Slater, um, at the scene of every JSA member throughout history. Which is like, why is why is John leaving pictures everywhere he goes? Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's cornball to me. It's another it's another pullback to
1: Alan Moore of the photo is important in that issue. So
0: I'm yeah, going to do exactly. that here. Yeah, I I didn't love that particularly. Um, but then like the Wally West stuff like why did why did John pull him out of the timeline? Yeah. Why did Doctor Manhattan mess with Wally? Like I'm genuinely unclear. Isn't he <laughs> on in on that question? I
1: thought, this is how confused I am. I thought that Wally was trying to pull Manhattan into the speed force. Yeah. Because that would be a realm that's outside
0: his domain. But it's I think the problem is it's it's all it's all backwards. Yeah. It's all try it's all the problems DC runs into when they try to explain continuity mess-ups, is they try to then tell a story to be like here's the in-narrative explanation for why the New 52 never gave Wally West anything mm-hmm. in that entire initiative, even though people love him, and then John's is like, well, it's because of Doctor Manhattan, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't... Those type of explanations, I think, are... F- I, don't, I respect them on a continuity level. I don't enjoy them as stories. Yeah. I guess is the way to say it.
1: Well, yeah, I. It, it's such an interesting point because Ed Brubaker has been deeply inspired by Johns' approach to things. Mm-hmm. But when Baker tries to do one of these continuity fixes, he manages to stay on topic with generally a small number of characters.
2: Right. So the
1: only thing you're right. dealing with is the story. You know, the, yeah. the Winter Soldier run is amazing because it's really about like two or three characters.
0: Right, yeah. It's a small piece of Marvel history. Yeah, and, and trying
1: to introduce the Watchmen series while also fixing continuities within the dc universe yeah like what are you doing which you can't do both which one are you doing
0: yeah no i think that's the thing is is it's a lack of focus from something that really needed to be focused um and that's something we just finished talking about which is hbo Watchmen is pretty well focused yeah it really is no Um, they they know what they want to talk about so all right I think all that is to say gets us to kind of like the the question that we were we were using as a through line for this conversation, which is what is Watchmen to you, John? This is a question that you asked me, and the the criteria you put on this was in as few words as possible, without mentioning the creators, characters, or plot. What is Watchmen to you? Mm-hmm. So let's answer this now, having discussed in our in our fashion Doomsday Clock and HBO Watchmen. So I'm gonna start, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. I asked Until you the question. recently. Yeah, yeah, I've I've thought about it, definitely. And until recently, I would have said, I would have thought about it more in terms of ambition in the comic book medium. Mm -hmm. So, like, Watchmen is a statement about what comic books can be, occupying pop culture and literary grandeur in the same moment. The problem I have with this approach now is it feels like Watchmen is consistently reduced to its formalism. Yeah. I feel like it's been overly reduced to craft like that's mostly a feat of comic book craft mm-hmm. rather than a story and but and when i say mostly it's kind of a strawman argument but i feel like critically that is a lot of what i see now mm-hmm. is it's reduced to nine panel grid incredible use of color and approach and like i said those little those little more tricks of you know the black freighter text is discussing something that mirrors what the newspaper salesman is saying on the same page, right? Like all those tonal craft tricks that I think Watchmen is unbeatable at. Yeah. But it's been almost reduced to that at the expense of a story. And I think if that's true, if that was true, that that's what Watchmen is. Then how and why does it work so well on TV, <laughs> where <laughs> where it's a different medium entirely? Yeah. And so this is my new answer. My new answer is Watchmen is the ambition to tell the most carefully refined possible superhero story. Okay. That is Watchmen to me, is even if it fails, even if it misses, it's not about the characters necessarily, even mm-hmm. though that's that's the universe that we live in and that's the universe that like HBO and Doomsday Clock are inhabiting. It's the ambition to tell the most carefully refined possible superhero story. Moran Gibbons were really good at that. (laughs) You know? Like like unbeatably so. And not everyone is. And I think like the Watchmen shadow looms over so much of comics Mm -hmm. since that time. You know what I mean? And not everybody can measure up. A lot of people's ideas about what the most carefully refined superhero story is are very different from the way Moran Gibbons would have presented it, right? Like nineties Youngblood by Rob Liefeld (laughs) is is influenced by Watchmen. It is, you know? But but the takeaways are different. The takeaways are more like, oh, grim and gritty. Yeah. You know? Um, so, okay. That's kind of what I came to. What do you think? What's, what's your answer?
1: I like what you're saying there. I've been thinking a bit about Moore's love of poetry. And um, Tom King brought it up in an interview on uh, Word Balloon, I think where he mentioned the fact that poetic writers work differently because of the way that they they try to manage their word count very tightly, very conservatively, and then they write for meter or or beat in the comic, that things have a pacing to them in a very different way. And that's very true. There's an article on might-be-CBR from a a writer who is talking about the fact that... um, the The nine panel grid is actually a uh, a poetic structure onto itself that it it manages this beat. So that as their creation definitely plays into what you're talking about of of how do you make the best comic but also a comic that can constantly reinforce itself. I think that's those are all really good points, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I do think I do think it's also important. The piece that I added in there is mm-hmm. the superhero story mm-hmm. part of this. It's not just about like comics perfectionism, mm-hmm. because Watchmen is not Will Eisner's Contract with God trilogy. Watchmen is not even even Sandman, which in some ways is like almost a superhero comic. Yeah, Watchmen is through and through superhero comics, and it's Moore's love of them. You know, it's it's Moore and Gibbons' love of them, and it's also their their attempt to elevate them, like you said, and to update them, and it's very much of the time as yeah. well. It's very much of where are they now. And I think that's so much of what I loved about I keep coming back to it, but like this year's Peter Cannon Thunderbolt is here's where they are now, right now, right? And that that is meaningful to me. Um because it's Watchmen is not a commentary on like, I don't know, like our crumbs indie comics. Yeah. You know? Like it's not it's not that it's it's genre maybe more than it is medium. Yeah. And where the two intersect. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah.
1: I think for me, um the answer for what is Watchmen is Shakespearean nihilism. That the the purpose behind Watchmen, um, at least to to my reading and from going back and checking interviews that Moore did in '85 and '87 and '88, was to say, you know, the same message as nihilism that you should not accept anyone or anything trying to forcefully impose uh, a set of values or morals on you, which. Coincidentally, is so ironic that it got it got finished off the same year that DC did their morals clause. <laughs> uh, it's just so bitter. But the whole book is getting into the situation and showing you that heroes, you know, are not flawless at all. They're petty. They're jealous. They're lustful. Um, and the book reinstates this by Moore's use of um, Shakespearean techniques that. Mm-hmm he is using language in a way that is to talk up to the reader. Uh, if you if you go back and read the text, you'll note that so many of the characters, including Rorschach and, um, and Dr. Manhattan, speak in kind of soliloquy to the audience when they're writing yeah. their journal or they're speaking in their mind, that it's this direct access to their brain. And the book is constantly saying, like, what do you, the audience, think about this? Don't, Don't just think like, oh, this is Superman, so he's infallible, um, which Doomsday Clock falls for, for some reason. But, you know, think about this as what do you believe in and is this wise and should this medium be above you as a person? That's that's really what it is to me. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's kind of where I have a falling out with a lot of the reinterpretations because Doomsday Clock, for some reason... It 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 alludes to that um, to that nihilism, especially in where's my note on this? Um, especially in issue six with the Joker, where he's talking about cutting marionette strings and that you know these these impositions on you don't mean anything. Um, John's definitely hints at it there, but then the entire bulk of the bulk of the book is saying, well, Watchmen must sit above me. And I must constantly reach for it, as yeah. opposed to doing a similar idea, which is totally antithetical. I think that's what the HBO series gets the closest to being right. And ironically, I kind of wish that they didn't use any Watchmen characters at all. I think it would have worked better. I don't in the in the TV show in the TV show. Yeah. Ooh. I don't Ooh, think that they. That's an interesting take. I don't think that they've done a great job with so, Veit so far. Uh, Dr. Manhattan is just out in the wind and we're already through the first act. Uh, Lori is an interesting inclusion, but I don't know. I, I I feel that when HBO Watchmen works, it works best because it's a little off building a mystery the same way that he did with uh, Lost. It's yeah. that same, we're just going to keep throwing things at you and you're going to try and figure it out as you go along. And we may not give you all the answers, but maybe they're somewhere in the, in the show.
0: There's a lot to unpack there and we're already at like an hour. <laughs> so I, I don't want to say too much about the mystery cuz I there's a lot of fun ones and I, mm-hmm. I, I agree with the premise. Um I do wonder the third episode in particular mm-hmm. is where we, it's a Laurie Blake centric yeah. episode and that's where we that's the one that really is like, oh, they're they're actually more committed to the characters of Watchmen than I expected them to be. Cuz through the first two, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, they're out there and uh, the apparent Ozymandias is is somewhere and that's the but right now he's just all he's like all weird mystery yeah right like just really strange mystery but then by episode three he's calling himself ozymandias you know or he's calling himself adrian Vite, right he's declaring like yeah i'm ozymandias um and and you get laurie blake out there in tons of Watchmen connections i i definitely liked it i mean i have to admit like i liked the use of these characters um i thought gene smart as laurie was just so like so exhilarating yeah just that was her, a good casting. Her, well it's good it's great casting it immediately makes me think of legion which i love which is so there's just that you know like immediate <laughs> happy connection um but then also seeing her 30 plus years later becoming her dad who at the end of Watchmen we know she hated yeah hated and she's taken his name apparently she operated as the comedian for a bit that's one of the back matter oh that we get Interesting. Um, yeah yeah so and she's telling jokes like her dad mm-hmm. it seems. Like she has become bitter in the ways that Eddie Blake was. Definitely. And bitter and violent and and maybe a little hopeless, maybe a little nihilistic, right? Mm-hmm. Not a little, probably a lot. Um that stuff to me as a follow-up I didn't expect and it, it that actually feels more like something doomsday clock would have done. Yeah. Than than the series. So I'm curious to see how they I don't want too much of it, but when they toss it in there like that, I like it. So I'm hoping they say, no, Regina King, the new Watchmen, that's our 80% of our new focus. Mm -hmm. But then there's this 20% connective tissue of fleshing out the world of of squids falling from the sky that is going to keep us rooted in that place you already love. Man, the squids Um, falling from the sky did not work for me. That to you was like, we're doing too much Watchmen. Yeah,
1: yeah? that was kind of like... And on top of which, the fact that it was too much Watchmen stuff and a very little off-feeling mystery, I don't know how to describe how he makes his big questions and shows, but there's almost a feel to them in the way that yeah. he will toss something out that's ridiculous and spectacular, mm-hmm. and then no one really comments too much on it. Yeah. You know, it's, it seems... I, I
0: have to think he's learned... He's had such a fraught relationship with post-lost life, yeah. obviously, as a creator and very publicly. Mm-hmm. I would be genuinely surprised if there wasn't more of a conviction to to deliver on these mm. mysteries. You know what I mean? Maybe. Um, but maybe not. Maybe the squids. Because the squids, when they talk about them in back matter mm-hmm. stuff, which again, I'm obsessed with, <laughs> is uh is like it's this scientific phenomenon that no one can explain. And they keep talking about, like, there's this mystery to the squids. Like, no one can explain why it's happening. So I could see that one just being like, no, this is just a thing that happens in this world yeah. that they have explained no one understands, so we won't understand it either as audience members. Um,
1: yeah, the, uh, but yeah uh, I, I King, think
0: – yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to say Regina King comments on that briefly when she was in the car with her son uh, in that episode, in the first episode when it rained. Mm-hmm. She kind of brings up offhand – like, the kid asks, why does this happen? She says, no one knows, and then it's – you know yeah no i mean i i could do with less of that uh you're right in that like the lori blake character is potentially the most interesting mm-hmm. but uh, i'm i'm concerned about how they're gonna balance that against uh sister knight so that one isn't dominating the other yeah and Sure. i'm especially concerned because she's come in you know lori has come in very late and Lidloff already said at New York Comic Con that he that this show may only go the one season, right? And HBO has been telegraphing uh, a little a little concern because this isn't doing Game of Thrones numbers, which is what I don't know if they expected, but maybe it's what they told stockholders they were going to get. That's interesting. Yeah, you know they're they're looking to find something that replaces that hole, and we go back to Doomsday Clock how does this compare to the business plan, which you and I don't have access to, but Mm -hmm. sometimes seems a little bit... uh, You can see the shape of
0: it. It would be fascinating to me if if Watchmen, the TV series, lived a short life because it was critically acclaimed, but not a hit. Right. (laughs) That would actually be... I think probably pretty telling. Yeah. Um about about appetites and maybe about what the future of superhero TV and movies is going to be is mm-hmm. like cuz I think one of the probably more obvious things that people have taken away from the show so far is oh, HBO Watchman is doing for superhero TV, superhero movies what the comic did for superhero comics. And okay. to me, you know, like it's elevating up. It's telling these literary uh big you know tackling Mm -hmm. racial insensitivity racial injustice in in ways that only Watchmen can do and I always wondered not always but for the last decade I've wondered like what is the what's the property gonna be that does for superhero genre outside of comics what Watchmen did yeah and the irony of it just being like well it actually just has to be Watchmen (laughs) is kind of crazy to me and kind of disappointing yeah it's kind of disappointing it couldn't be something new you know
1: yeah, I mean, I understand why the DC suits would want to stick with a known brand. I would challenge you on your point that HBO's Watchmen is, you know, breaking the mold for television, movies, and films, I think you said. I would argue that that was Legion. I just don't think okay. that Legion yeah. was as accessible uh, as... Legion's much weirder. Yeah, but it's it tackles the same issues. Like, the fact that the last two seasons are really all about consent is you know a a spectacular nod to what it can do socially um yeah i just think that little office maybe maybe found some ways to make the weirdness more publicly accessible than legion did
0: well watchmen is very i I guess that's kind of where i come down a little surprised by maybe a lack of of um success is it's very uh it's very accessible it's very entertaining yeah. in the ways that like we expect superhero media to be and and Legion is not. No. Uh, Legion is not playing by those rules. Mm. It is very high-minded and I love I love Legion, but I would not expect Legion to get um Game of Thrones numbers. No. I, you know what I mean? Like, Sadly no. that's that is not a world we live in. Um Watchmen I think is closer.
1: I in a way I thought that Legion was more like Alan Moore's Watchmen maybe even than uh HBO's Watchmen is.
0: Okay, so that's that's my new title for uh for this episode is wide legion is the new watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: hoping we would call it more crisis.
0: <laughs> more crisis on on infinite alliance. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no that totally works. Yeah, I I think I think you're right. I think Watchmen is not I don't want to overstate it yeah. as as this inventive explosion, but I guess that's kind of that's kind of what we you and I have alluded to about the comic too though is like it became this thing that changed comics. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. It told a story that's a really fun, entertaining superhero mystery. Yeah. At the end of the day. I mean, so outside like,
1: of the criticisms about how it handled, you know, sexual consent and race and LGBT, uh, but yeah.
0: Fun. Fun is probably the wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the wrong word because absolutely there are criticisms and they're really interesting criticisms mm-hmm. um, that everyone should read because, like, honestly, like Ellen Moore was not capable of telling a story from. I don't know, 1982 to 1991 without like sexual violence. Yeah, like he he couldn't do it, and I say that as someone who is completely wowed by his writing, but also like really doesn't like that aspect. So yes, yeah. there are problems, absolutely. Um, that said, it's still like it still hits at the pop sensibilities. Yeah, of a story, and that's why I think it is so beloved. Watchmen HBO is doing the same thing while also throwing in high-minded mystery, yeah, confusion. Everything with Adrian Veidt. The, if you don't know Watchmen, especially, mm-hmm. is like has to just be like, "What is this? Yeah. What is this?" Like that play he's doing, the Watchmaker's son, is so weird. It's so weird. And I don't even knowing it, I'm like, I don't know why he's doing this stuff. I don't. I don't have a clue what's going on here. Yeah, I. Uh, I, I don't know.
1: You're right. Uh, yeah, that's that whole part with Veidt is gonna be interesting. I really feel that. Maybe HBO's Watchmen was written more in mind for people who never read uh, the original. Maybe they were intimidated. Maybe it got talked up too much. Um, because the way that it handles Vite just feels so different from the comics. Yeah, that I I don't right. understand. Uh, I, I I get little bits of what's happening. I think just based on you know having read the material, but that's. That's either gonna be a really great payoff or it's going to be a really upsetting payoff for me and I don't know which one, especially if it only goes I mean, one season.
0: Vite right now is the Jacob of of Watchmen. <laughs> you know, he's he's lost Jacob because if it turns out that the the answers to those questions aren't that interesting, the show's gonna have a really big hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We're gonna wonder why we spent all this weird time. Yeah. on his island, and then we're going to have to make those lost arguments about, well, the time experiment exploring those mysteries was pretty entertaining, even if the answer sucked, um, as opposed to what I'm hoping, which is an explosive answer. I mean, the first thing that came to mind with me with the episode three, and mm-hmm. big-time spoilers for the show here if you haven't watched, I feel like Dr. Manhattan's got him imprisoned yeah. on some weird off-world. Like, I don't think he's in Scotland. Yeah. This Game Warden character it doesn't seem like... The once in future Ozymandias would be kept at bay by a human. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's I think it's gonna be connected to Doctor Manhattan. Let me let me ask two questions there. One, do you have the same thought or a different one? Two, are we gonna see Doctor Manhattan and should we? I think we both probably have the same answer here.
1: Uh, I definitely have the same thought. I was kind of thinking that this was some sort of time prison that he that uh, Manhattan on a loop kind of thing. What's that? Like he's on a loop. Yeah, that he's existing outside of normal time. Uh, Because, Mm. you know, Manhattan just dragged him and threw him into a parallel universe or something. Yeah. Um, That was sort of my thought. But I'm also kind of, I'm confused about the structure of it because it doesn't really, to to fit that idea, it doesn't really make sense. um, The construction of how they have the the caretakers because they seem more like imperfect clones. Mm -hmm. Which is definitely, making clones is definitely a Dr. Manhattan thing. But it's also an Adrian Veidt thing. Um, Yeah, right. And now we've got the Game Warden, and I'm like, I don't know what's going there. Uh, Yeah. That's a little perilous. But yeah, I, I definitely saw it that way. As for whether or not we should see Dr. Manhattan in the show, I think no. I think that if we are going to make the argument, as a number of the Watchmen reinterpretations have made, that Manhattan is basically
0: God now. Mm-hmm. then he should be like god and be removed. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would agree. I I think the most I wanted to see of him mm-hmm. was what we got at the end of episode 3, which was, "Hey Lori, I got your joke and I thought it was pretty funny." Yeah. I like that touch. That was good. Like that's That was very good. That's enough service to mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan to me to be like he's out there and guess yeah. what? He's actually listening. Yeah. Surprisingly. He's actually kind of listening to Lori. <laughs> um but that's all we're going to get. Yeah. And it I'd be I would be 100% fine with that. I think I'd be a little surprised if the show didn't agree. Mm-hmm. Be, I'd actually be very surprised if they were like, "Actually, we want to introduce this blue superpowered person yeah. into this world." It just doesn't feel right to me. No,
1: that's a whole level of unreality that doesn't mesh with the very real um discussion of racial injustice and racial violence. Like it's just Yeah. Trying to, you know, trying to merge those two is ugh. Speaking of
0: trying to merge things that don't work, mm-hmm. Doomsday Clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's a future, depending on how issue 12 ends, of of Watchmen being inside the DC universe that works? Like, is there is there a version of that in comics that is a good thing?
1: So far, no. I don't. Yeah. It feels too disruptive, uh, and especially since, like... Watchmen came out after DC bought the rights to the Charleston characters, but was not doing anything with them. Right. Um, So that's how Moore got to write his parodies of them. But now that the question is actually in the DC universe, now that um, the Atom is in there. Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, um, who they allude to, which was fun. uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Like, How are you going to have... Rorschach and the question occupying pretty much the same space. Yeah, that doesn't make sense.
0: What well, also sounds boring. It like does it sounds
1: duplicative. You know? Yeah. No. Totally. Uh, you would basically just have a, you know, a slight um, tone swap on characters, and that's
0: it. And that's yeah. The only the only thing I could see them doing, not the only thing, but probably the most realistic thing I could see them doing is Doctor Manhattan and Superman hash it out mm-hmm. in issue twelve here, and the Watchmen people go back. To Watchmen world and that becomes a part of the of the multiverse mm-hmm. maybe now we get a 53rd no I think it's our well it's in there whatever it's whatever it's for yeah yeah um so like that world is part of the is part of the DC multiverse now and we could get like you said a Watchmen imprint mm-hmm. that is like a post a post Doomsday Clock world where then they can do their HBO Watchmen stories yeah Right. So then instead of before Watchmen, they can kick off after Watchmen right? Right. and and bring in whatever creators that want to touch it and do it that way. I could see that being probably pretty frowned upon and met with not a lot of fanfare, but attempted. Yeah, um, I could see that. I think otherwise the idea of Rorschach staying in Gotham. No, 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 thank you. Yeah. I would
1: love to see them open up an imprint where they tell creators, like, just explore what this book means to you. Do something that's, you know, of the same mind, um, but ignore all the rest. I would love to see Sean Murphy create a, a Watchmen book, like after sure. his work on yeah. Punk Rock Jesus. That just makes sense.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that idea I like is to black label it mm-hmm. and just say, just do your thing and don't worry about this incontinuity stuff. Yeah. And then Doomsday Clock, the ending is just, okay, Dr. Manhattan gives us the metaverse. He gives us that explanation and then he goes away and he takes everybody <laughs> with him. And and I don't, whatever, Batman can remember he read Rorschach's journal, fine, but like they're not going to come up again.
1: I really feel like DC is going to kill Manhattan and 12, but by somebody yeah. else that that's there's some greater threat out there than even dr manhattan that's kind of where i think that they're going maybe he'll kill both manhattan and superman and it will just parallel the uh, the pi story that they've been playing over and interesting. over
0: interesting interesting
1: yeah i think that's a
0: terrible idea but that's really my take on what <laughs> what other what other ip do they own that they can tease now as the um as the other hand right that's controlling things you know uh, man i don't <laughs> that's know concerning. but i don't
1: i there's no good resolution because to dc they want these characters just like they want all characters in main continuity i mean hell um red sun superman is now part of main continuity right. they're just going to keep right. they're just going to keep dragging these things in there because they want to You know, have their toys play with other people's toys. That's it.
0: Yeah, that's that's the most disappointing answer. Mm -hmm. If that becomes reality, because then it's just it's just such a transparent business case, which is which is tends to be very negative. Yeah, and is for for uh,
1: and is again totally antithetical to the book. Like, if that's what they wind up doing with it, uh, I I don't think that's going to work out for them. Yeah. And man, I wish we could spend the next hour complaining about businesses making business decisions, but.
0: I know, I know. It's not really gonna work out. All right. Well, this has been World of Watchmen, Compo Carol Deep Dives. John. This is fun. It's a great time. Thanks for talking about it. Um, you can find more of our work over on CompoCarol.com, including uh, Watchmen commentary, as we got a Watchmen universe reading order, and all sorts of uh, Doomsday Clock reading order. Actually, if you want to read the the DC Rebirth stories, that sort of sets the stage for it, and of course, I'll include some of that in the show notes. John, anything you wanna plug?
1: no i mean i've got a i've got another superpowers article coming out pretty soon that should be interesting but that's about it
0: cool cool yeah find all john's writing over on cbh and uh you know i'll include the link for the deep dives here in the show notes so thanks everybody for listening watching however you consume this and enjoy the comics